Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everybody, back to the Believe in the Jets podcast. I am your host, Andrew Golden of JetsXFactor.com. And as always, I got former Jet running back Lamont Jordan here with me. Lamont, we got some big news in Jetsville. The Jets are going to be looking for a new offensive coordinator. There was some craziness and some refuted reports and everything else going on yesterday that we'll have to break down. And I'll have to fill you in on since it doesn't seem like we're you were completely up to date on the time. Before we get into that, as always, we got to thank our friends over at Bet online.ag for sponsoring nfl playoffs are just about to kick off and if you guys are looking to have any bets for the playoffs make sure you're heading over to bet online best betting site on the net not even a competition and if you sign up for the first time make sure you're using the promo code believe b-l-e-a-v and that'll get you a 50 percent welcome bonus with your first sign up bet online where the game starts Lamont, normally my transition will be we got to start with the game, but the Jets lost to the Dolphins. The season is over. They are not in the playoffs, and we got bigger news to talk about. The Jets' offensive coordinator job is officially open. We had went over a few weeks of criticizing Michael Floor, the former coordinator, and and how his offense seemed to be stagnant and, and not really marrying to the skill and the players they had. And Yes, there were injuries. Yes, there was bad quarterback play, but we wanted to see some more creativity. We wanted to see uh, some different wrinkles and more of an attempt to help the players that were there, not just run the same scheme with different guys that you have in. So as I was alluding to, yesterday was pretty crazy. Reports first come out yesterday morning that Michael Floor had been fired. They were not reported uh, by any Jets beat reporters. It was kind of other NFL reporters finding that scoop. And the Jets, through the Jets beat reporters, quickly refuted that report, sent out their own narrative saying that LaFleur had not been fired, that discussions were still ongoing, and that the early report was not true. So, a few hours go by, we get into the evening, and another report comes out saying that Michael Floor is no longer part of the New York Jets, that the Jets and Michael Floor had chosen to mutually part ways, and that LaFleur would be seeking other opportunities According to the Jets and the narrative that they have sent out, the first report said he was fired. That caused other teams to call the Jets and inquire about his availability, presumably to hire Michael Floor for themselves. You would think in a similar role, if not the same role, as an offensive coordinator. And after other teams were inquiring, the Jets, who, according to them, were previously planning on keeping LaFleur on as coordinator, decided to let him seek those other opportunities for himself and decided to mutually part ways. We got to break this down because I think there's a lot of misinformation going around. I think there's a lot of questions about what really happened, and I'm sure we got our opinions there. First and foremost, Lamont, I I would love to hear your opinion from this. Does it make any sense to you that a team was planning on keeping a coach and it wasn't until other teams started calling about that coach to hire them for themselves that they decided that they did not want that coach anymore and that they are going to let him go to another team i don't know about you but that uh that i'm not buying that for a second yeah i'm i'm look, i'm with you i'm with you um between just everything that you said like a report from somebody that's not even part of the jets beat and then they want to keep him, but we're going to let him go. Um, 
quite naturally, I think anybody who's going to exercise some form of common sense is going to say something doesn't seem right with that. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm with you on that. Um, you know, just listening to you tell me, you know, what's going on. First of all, I have I have mixed emotions on, on one hand. It's it, regardless of how it happened, it's something that needed to be done. Um, but on the human side of things, just kind of closing out the season, thinking about how much, how high our hopes were for the offense, for it to come to this, there, there is a little sadness for the floor. Um, you know, just as a player and as a coach myself, like I can definitely understand, but I believe that this is his first offensive coordinating job. This was a learning experience for him. He got a chance to go two years at it. Now he'll get a chance to go somewhere, kind of sit back. I'll be shocked if he gets a job anywhere else right now as an offensive coordinator. Um, but from that standpoint, um, you know, you kind of feel bad for him. But at the end of the day, it, it's something that needed to happen. It was one of the worst offenses in the league. Is there anything, like, what are, like, the different stories? Like, what are some of the different things that's coming out about just this whole this whole thing and how <laughs> it plays? Yeah, yeah. We'll get into that in a quick sec, but I do want to highlight something that you said because I think it will be what proves or disproves this story. If teams were really calling about Michael Floor's availability, then he shouldn't be on the job market for long, you would think. Mm -hmm. If teams were asking and trying to find out for themselves if he was available so that they could hire him, then I can't imagine he's going to be without a job for very long. It mm -hmm. sounds like, according to the story that we've been told, he has other opportunities that he can seek, and we should expect to see him get some interviews relatively soon with other clubs because that's why they're letting him out. That's the whole reason they're saying that this is a mutual parting of ways and not LaFleur being fired is because he has these other opportunities that he would be free to explore. So depends on, for me, how quickly is Michael Floor going to get another job? And is it going to be another offensive coordinator job? Because I can't see anybody in their right mind wanting to leave a job to go somewhere else and get demoted. I can't see that being a, an agreement that LaFleur would have had to sit there and say, I have an offensive coordinator job here. The team I'm with right now wants to keep me as an offensive coordinator, but someone else wants a, a passing game specialist or a wide receiver coach. And I'm going to go and do that instead of being the offensive coordinator. And, and that's going to be my job. I don't think that makes any sense whatsoever. The stories that have been coming out have been all over the place. First and foremost, there's been a lot of speculation that this was not a decision made by head coach Robert Sala himself, and instead was a decision made by ownership, and that Woody Johnson, the owner, kind of forced his hand and told Sala, you need to make a change at offensive coordinator, whether you want to keep this guy or not. And personally, again, I'm eager to hear your opinion. Personally, I don't buy that either. I don't think anything that we've seen from Coach Sala makes me think that he's the type of person that would ever let somebody, owner or otherwise, dictate his staff and dictate his decision making. He seems very, you know, confident in his convictions. He seems very confident in himself and his decision making. And he knows that in order to be a successful coach, you have to have that autonomy to decide your own staff. And so personally, I think if this was really a an ownership decision, we'd see a lot more friction and we'd see a lot more problems leaking out to where I don't think Robert Sala would be okay with it. And I think it might be a situation where Robert Sala might tell Woody Johnson, you know what, Woody, you're going to make me decide my staff and go find another coach because I'm not going to sit here and let anyone tell me who I can or can't have on my team. I think it's very, very possible that Woody Johnson gave his opinions 
I don't think that this is something where Woody just said, hands off, I'm not saying nothing, and and you decide everything. I think he very well could have made his opinions felt, but I think it was not a a forced decision. I do not think that this was ownership coming down and saying, you have to make this move. Personally, going through, weeding through the trees, weeding through the narratives, this is what I think happened. I think Sala fired Michael Floor, and I think the Jets got scooped about it. And the first report that came out earlier yesterday morning was an accurate report that they were making a change and that LaFleur was getting fired and Sala was part of that decision. But the Jets didn't want to have that report out yet. They wanted to have time to set their narrative and frame things and figure out how they were going to go about releasing this information. And they got scooped. And so then they had to do damage control. And when you have a guy like Sala and Michael Floor that are very, very close, as we've talked about for a long time, this is Sala's best friend's little brother. This is the guy who was at his wedding. The best man at his wedding is LaFleur's older brother, Matt LaFleur, the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. There's a lot of tight relationships here. These guys have known each other for a long time, worked together for a long time. And I'm sure Sala from everything that we know about him just like i don't think he would take an ownership decision and and be okay with it i don't think he'd be the type of guy to want to go scorched earth and publicly fire his friend's little brother and make a big scene about it and oh i'm getting rid of you i think this is sala's best possible chance of giving lafleur another shot doing what he has to do for the team and having the public narrative be something a little more friendly than I'm firing my offensive coordinator. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens over these next few days and where, where this goes, who the Jets hire an offensive coordinator, where Michael Floor goes. But I want to get your opinion, Lamont, just from everything that we've heard, and that's all we can go off of, is just the stories that we've heard. We are not in the building. We are not behind closed doors. What do you think happened here? Do you think this was an ownership decision? Do you think this actually was them mutually parting ways? Or do you think this was Sala making the call as the head coach? I don't even know where to start. Because um, <laughs> I, I, it's just, I, I, I try to be careful with these types of conversations. But I can make an argument that it's a combination of all of the above. Um, the only thing that, that that brings in some type of conflict is I believe that in our last show, um, or you and I had talked about this, how I believe Robert Soller said he's bringing him back. Like basically like gave the impression. He didn't gave the impression. Not, we're not quoting. We're not quoting. I don't want to quote. That's why I'm trying to be careful. But he kind of gave the impression that LaFleur will be back. Yes, correct. So... From that standpoint, I can look at it as, hey, he handled it the way you want you, you you want the head coach to handle it. You know, you got you have another game to play. You know, you want to finish out the season. You you want to finish out the season. Um, it could be a situation where, yes, you know, Robert Sala, he 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 let him go. He 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 let him go. He he just got rid of him. It could be a situation that he got rid of him. Because, hey, he was just making the right decision. Like, if I bring you back and this doesn't work out, I'm basically putting myself in that fourth in that fourth year saying that this is a make-or-break season for me. Whereas if I let you go, at least I get another season or two. 
because I have to give this new offensive coordinator a year to mesh and groom. And then at the next year, you know, it's just so many, so many different things that, that go on. Um, and it could be a situation where he wanted to bring him back and Woody gave his opinion and Woody made it known like, hey, this, this is the situation. You can bring him back, but if it doesn't work out, then, hey, you know, both That's of y'all. That's on gonna, you. That's on you. Both of y'all are going to be out of here. I don't see Robert Soller being in a situation where he would resign or anything like that, because what argument can you make? You want to keep one of the worst offensive offenses. You want to keep the coordinator one of the worst offenses in the National Football League. I don't think that he would look at Woody Johnson and say, hey, go find yourself another coach. That would be easy. What coach wouldn't want to come in here and coach this talent? You mean to tell me you're you're basically, I think, one offensive lineman and a quarterback away from really being a true contender? There are a multitude of coaches that would love to come in here. So I don't think that that's an angle that, that Salah would take. I think it's a situation that regardless of how it worked out, it's a situation that needed to happen. And this is where you have kind of conflicts when you have relationships, when you have family members and you have close connections where they have these positions because it can create some type of, of turbulence within the family. With that said, I think by trying to control the narrative and trying to make things a little softer, you bring into the equation things that just don't need to be there. You, for me, coach has developed his reputation as being an upfront, straightforward type of guy. Like he's a no nonsense. It is what it is. I'm going to give grace where grace needs to be given. All right. With that said, I think that this was a great opportunity to show that this is how you handle. This is how you, when you're in this position, you have to make the tough choice. So, so, you know, brother-in-law, whatever the, the situation is, hey, got to let you go. Let's make no mistake about it. The family will be okay because if I'm not mistaken, he's still going to get paid. Yep. He's still getting his salary. Coaches have guaranteed contracts. The players may not be that lucky, yeah. but coaches he's definitely told. are. So, yeah, oh, my feelings may be hurt because, oh, I, I can't come back for a third year. We had two years where we really let the team down. We didn't go to the playoffs. If my unit has performed, we could have went, oh, man. This ain't the end of the line for Lafleur. I mean, this is just the beginning for him. So, yes, I truly believe that other teams want his services. I would be shocked if he gets a job next year as an offensive coordinator. I think he could be a position coach. He'll be an offensive assistant. He'll be somewhere where he's collecting a check, learning football, going back and evaluating himself, preparing himself for his next opportunity. So he's going to be fine. I think that... Robert, I, I think that coach made a decision that needed to be made. It was the right decision, regardless of, of which angle it came from. At the end of the day, it was the right decision. But I don't like the whole trying to control the narrative and soften things up. At the end of the day, this is football. And if I'm looking at things from a running back's perspective, here's the reality. Your offense has been horrible for two years. We have no signs that we're going to get better. Our quarterback got worse being under you as the offensive coordinator. We have a solid team, a great young team. All we need now is an offense that can support the consistency of this defense and special teams. You got to go. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I think the the other part of that is that LaFleur wasn't the only coach to go. 
You have offensive line coach John Benton has been relieved of his duties. Miles Austin, the wide receiver coach, who was suspended for you know gambling on, I believe it was NBA games, uh, seemed to have that year suspension. He's been relieved of his duties. As of right now, quarterback coach Rob Calabrese is still on the staff. Tight end coach Ron Middleton is still on the staff. Running back coach Taylor Embry is still on the staff. I think the quarterback coach in particular and in, in Rob Calabrese, I think that is the Jets not wanting to leave Zach Wilson without a quarterback coach for any period of time. If there is any hope that he can succeed and get to the point that they want him to get, knowing he's going to have to now learn a new offense going into year three, I think giving him a, a gap of time with no quarterback coach and no direction at the very least to keep him grounded and keep working on the mechanical issues that he had this year, I think that's going to hurt his development. And I would not be surprised at all if when the Jets do hire their next full-time offensive coordinator, if they bring in, if that coordinator brings in a new quarterback coach to go along with it. And Calabrese ends up finding, uh, getting let go at that time. And that makes a little more sense to me as to why he's not gone right now. But you're right. This was a decision that needed to happen. And I think we've, we've gone over it for weeks on end now to close out the year. The Jets lost six straight. They won one game after the bye week. And throughout that period of time, the constant that we've been talking about has been the lack of effectiveness from the offense and how they've left their defense out to dry time and time again. And if they just had even the slightest bit more competency, even the, the slightest bit more, uh, you know, ability to score points, the Jets are probably in the playoffs right now. And they're probably not at home and LaFleur isn't getting fired and everyone's going into year three going, we made the playoffs, we improved and no one's getting canned. It's a completely different situation, but this is something that absolutely had to happen. And I think the important part about this, this is where I want to transition into next before we start talking about other possible candidates for this job. There had been reports for the last couple of weeks that the Jets would be looking to bring in a, a senior voice in their offense. This was under the assumption that Michael Floor was going to stay on as coordinator, but they were going to be looking for some sort of a senior offensive assistant, whoever, whatever title you might want to give them to be a veteran presence, someone who has been around the league as a play caller, been around the league as a quarterback developer to try and come in and make things a little bit better for this team. And I think the problem with that is that any coach that's going to be good enough to improve this situation is probably also good enough to just be your outright offensive coordinator. And it's probably also good enough to be an offensive coordinator for another team too. So mm -hmm. you're going to have a really hard time convincing someone to come in and basically be the, the ghost writer offensive coordinator who's making less money in a lesser role with a lower title, pumping up a guy as the offensive coordinator and Michael floor to improve him and make him look better when you are the one as the senior offensive assistant, what have you, that's doing a lot of the work to make things better. I think that would have been a tough sell for, for a lot of coaches. I, I think a lot of coaches and rightfully so you have to look out for yourself, just like the players. And you're always trying to look to elevate and evolve and move up the ladder it's going to be hard for guys that if they have that experience, unless you're you're plucking somebody out of retirement like Gary Kubiak to expect them to come in and fill this role in that capacity. I think now that LaFleur is gone officially and you have an open spot, that's going to make things a lot more attractive for any potential coaches that would fit the bill that you're looking for. Because now they can come in and be the whole offensive coordinator. They can decide what offense they're running. They can script their own plays. They can likely hire some of their own assistant coaches to go along with them. There's going to be more autonomy 
for that veteran coordinator, whoever it ends up being, without having to be the quality control coach and fill in behind LaFleur. On top of that, if LaFleur was going to stay, that means you're running the same scheme. That means you're sticking to this wide zone Shanahan offense. And so you're going to need a veteran presence that knows that scheme. You're going to need someone to come in and help that's familiar with that offense that has experience in that scheme. You're not going to bring in somebody to try and improve your offense and, and be the guiding veteran presence to help this scheme if they don't know it. There's That's a disconnect there for me. Now, and Salah himself has said this in his press conference today, they don't have to stick to the wide zone scheme. They can cast a wide net and they can go and try and find someone for whoever they think might be best for the job, whether they're running that Shanahan offense or not. And I think that also gives you more opportunities. It gives more attractiveness to other coaches that you might be interested in hiring because they're not going to be pigeonholed to a scheme they don't run. And it's just for the Jets in particular, and I do agree with you, LaFleur is going to find another job, whether it's as a, a position coach, an assistant, what have you. He's going to be okay. Worst case scenario, his brother will give him a job in Green Bay. And and he he will land on his feet. He also is going to have the guaranteed contract to where he's still going to be getting paid. For the Jets in particular, this is the best case scenario. Because now you can cast a wide net. Your options are fully open. The, the guys that you're looking to bring in that deserve the recognition of, of helping your offense they're going to be your full offensive coordinator. They're not going to have to be convinced to go and be someone's understudy and kind of pull strings behind the scenes. I'm I'm really excited to see where they go with this with the, where with this coaching search because I think now all options are on the table and that's best case scenario for the Jets. I'm with you on that. Um, the bringing in a, a senior guy can work if that guy has no desire to coach. Yes. Because now, whoever your offensive coordinator is, you're not really looking over your shoulder thinking that this guy could possibly be there to replace you. You know that this guy's genuinely there to help out the organization. So from from that standpoint, I, I believe that something like that works. Um, I believe that something like that would have to work if you're looking to bring in a younger guy. If you're looking to give a guy another opportunity where this is his first time being an offensive coordinator, uh, the one thing that, you know, we talked, I talked about this a few times during the season that we, there's no senior presence on the offensive side of the ball. For me, here's what I would like to see. And I'm a believer in, in teams and, and you can help me out with this. Um, when, when, when Rex Ryan was there, um, I'm going to speak on the spirit of when a team was good. And when it comes to the Jets, I feel like I can speak on it. I played there for four years. Three out of those four years, we made the playoffs. We were a field goal kick away from making the AFC championship game against the Patriots. Uh, we lost to the Steelers in 04. I believe that each team, there, there, there's just a spirit with the team. There's an identity that you have on the team that makes the team the team. When I think about the commanders, you know, I'm always comparing the commanders because I'm here in, in, in Washington, D.C. area. Right. Another team that just fired their offensive coordinator as well. Who are similar to us. As we've talked about. Defense is a solid. Offense is just non-existent. The spirit of that team is dominant, nasty offensive linemen, smash mouth football. That is who they are. They have always won being that. 
That's what their Super Bowls. Although you had the passing attack, it was based on being nasty yep. on the offensive line, being nasty on the defense. The hog mollies. That and, was what it was. Being able to be smash mouth that whenever you got finished playing a game against that team, it did not matter. You knew that you were in the football game. With that said, I think the spirit of who the Jets are is you need a dominant tight end. You need a tight end who can run block, who can pass protect, and who can make plays in the passing game. You need a well-rounded tight end. And you have to have a fullback on your roster. That is the one area. When I think about the Shanahan tree, when I think about the LaFleurs, when I look at their offenses, they all had fullbacks. Yep. Why did we not have a fullback? So it's like we got the Shanahan system, but we didn't get the Shanahan system because the system has a fullback. You look at what the San Francisco 49ers are doing. They have a fullback. So that's something that I think that LaFleur, when you when you think about him going back and reevaluating himself, I think that that's something that he'll be able to look at and say, dang, I'm one that running this wonderful system. I didn't have the fullback. That's what we need to have on this team. So whatever offense, whoever the offensive coordinator is that we bring in, I want it to be a guy who believes in the fullback position because the fullback position is critical. If you want to be able to run the ball and and, and you're not going to be this read option offense, if you have struggles at the offensive line and you're going to have a tight end, that's a guy that's going to be a route runner first before a blocker, you know who your sixth offensive lineman becomes? It becomes your fullback. Yep. So whoever the offensive, whoever Coach Sala is going to bring in as the offensive coordinator, I hope he believes in the fullback position. Because yep. that is who the Jets are. When, we, when I played there, we were successful with a fullback. I look at other teams around the league. When you think about the years where they had success, there was there was a certain style of offense that they played. They have gotten away from those offenses and their teams have struggled. I think with us, and I'm going to continue to say this because I said the same thing with the commanders. It's the same thing. Us and the commanders have the same issues. We have no fullback. We have no physical presence on the offensive side of the ball. And everything that we did with Boys and Girls Club, read option, spread it out, BS. Nah, get an offensive coordinator in here that has a traditional system. And what I mean by traditional system, give me a tight end, give me a fullback. You could line up in, in, in 11 personnel a lot of the times, but give me a fullback on this roster that when we get in situations where it's raining, we get into the months of December and January where you have to play in Buffalo, you have to play in New England, and you have to have that physical presence. The fullback position is what the New York Jets is missing. Okay? That is one of the biggest issues that we had. And, and, and to be honest with you, it wasn't until during this show that I look at his offense and I'm like, yo, there is something about this offense that is missing. And for two years, and it sucks on me that I that I'm just now seeing this, but that is what we miss. That is what his system missed. That is what the Jets missed. So whoever the offensive coordinator is, I don't care what your system is. You can come in and be a read option guy, but make sure that you have a fullback that is on your active roster because he's also a guaranteed special teams player. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm going to go even further than that. I agree that, you know, they could use a fullback. And we said, you know, for a long time, I remember I brought this up, you know, weeks and weeks ago, some of the best runs in the Shanahan playbook are from 21 and 22 personnel. And you need that fullback in your system to be able to execute those runs. Mm -hmm. If you look at the 49ers, even right now, with Christian McCaffrey running rough shot through the NFC, it's because he's got Kyle Juice check in front of him, helping mm -hmm. lead through the gap. And, mm -hmm. and they can design plays that, that are better, give you better lanes to run through and manipulate defenses in a better way when you have that extra blocker. But I'm going to go even further than that. I think you got to get away from the wide zone. And I think you have to have a offense and specifically a rushing attack that punishes people and run some power concepts. I don't think that you can live doing this side to side run game or, or the split zone. We're going to have a tight end come from back here and he's going to meet the backside defensive end in the hole. There was a, how many times this year have we seen Tyler Conklin and CJ Uzama try and execute that block and get absolutely detonated. How many times have we seen Lake and Tomlinson having to reach block at three tech and he gets walked back four yards behind the line of scrimmage and takes away any path for the running back to take. We've been saying for so long, Lamont, this team lacks any power. It lacks any nastiness. It lacks that identity of we are going to be the tougher, stronger, nastier team. And when you have a defense that's going to hit you in the mouth for four quarters and punish you for as long as they possibly can, you want to be that bigger, tougher team. And I know for a fact that Joe Douglas, of all people, from his time growing up in this league, spent a lot of time with the Baltimore Ravens. And if there is one thing that you can say about the Baltimore Ravens every season, regardless of their record, regardless of their roster, they are going to hit you in the mouth every single time you play them. And you are going to have to be ready to, you know, buckle your chin strap and get ready for a fight on both sides of the ball every time you come up against that team. The Jets need that too. And I think that fits the Jets identity as a whole from what you're talking about from your time as a player when you were with the team in the early 2000s and everything else, it was, we're going to have a strong defense. We're going to be mean. We're going to be nasty. We're going to have this power rushing attack on offense that's going to make it tough for teams to, to keep up with us. You had Curtis Martin, a guy that we talk about all the time, a guy you know very well. Power concepts. We're going to pull the guard. We're going to down block front. We're going to pull the guard around, get up to the linebacker, and Curtis Martin's going to hit through the B-gap, and we're going to hit you in the face. That's what this team lacks. And I really think that now that you have the freedom and you have an offensive coordinator job that's open and you're openly saying, we're not just going to stay committed to this wide zone scheme and we could look outside of that avenue and go other places. I think now is the perfect time to bring in an offense that is a lot more power based, that is a lot more based on moving people out of the way and not just getting in the way and trying to create an angle in a lane. You need some nastiness. We've seen however many times this year, third and one, fourth and one, what have you, when all the Jets have to do is just get push off the line of scrimmage and move people, move people off the line of scrimmage, get a lane, open up some space for your running back to get a yard, and they failed consistently time and time and time and time again. That's got to change for me. So first and foremost, the first name that I have, because I think this guy can help your quarterback situation, can help your rushing attack, can help your offensive line, can help the attitude of your team. The very, very first guy, top name on my list, if Frank Reich does not get another head coach job, I'm calling him and offering him whatever he wants to come be the Jets offensive coordinator. 
I think he is experienced. I think he's been shown to be able to work with different players. I think his time in Indianapolis, quite honestly, I think Chris Ballard is a vastly overrated general manager. I think that their acquisitions and the help that he has had has not been up to snuff, and it was hard for Reich to to work with what he had. I think his quarterback situation has been very, very tough to deal with. You have Carson Wentz that you trade for. That doesn't go well. You get the ghost of Matt Ryan, and you're expecting to, to lead him through the pack. And outside of Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly, the center, you don't have too much at offensive line that's doing a lot to help your team overall. And just outside of Jonathan Taylor, Lamont, is there a ton of skill talent on that team? You got Michael Pittman, who's a solid receiver. And, I mean, you're you're really lacking talent as a whole. And I think Reich is the type of guy where he can run some power concepts. He has some experiences in the passing attack. He knows quarterbacks. He's a quarterback himself. He was an offensive coordinator before. He was the coordinator for uh, Doug Peterson in Philadelphia when they won the Super Bowl. Goes and gets his opportunity as a head coach. And we saw his first couple of years as head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. He fixed Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck was broken. He was beaten down. And I think that if Andrew Luck doesn't retire early, and the Colts then don't go ha- have to go on this, you know, band-aid quarterback spree that they've been on for the last couple of years of Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, what have you. I think Frank Reich is not with, not out of a job right now. And I think mm-hmm. he'd still be the head coach of the Colts. And I also think having another guy in the room with head coach experience is huge because you're having somebody that's been at the top that can, you know, relate to other players that has been in the league for years that was a player as well a guy that can relate to players because he was one we talk all the time about Jeff Ulbrich the defensive coordinator and how he was a former player and how that allows him to communicate with guys that he's been around I think you have that same sort of deal with Frank Reich he is at the very top of my list of candidates I'm really hoping that that ends up happening now it's going to be interesting we'll get into this as the weeks go on what the Jets do at quarterback whether they bring in a veteran trade for somebody it was formally announced today through Derek Carr himself that he's not returning to the Raiders. That's definitely a possibility, but looking at things objectively and just the gap of offensive coordinator, there is no one I want more for this role than Frank Reich. Frank Reich, my turp. Your turp, exactly. My turp. I got mixed feelings about this. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I was a little disappointed with him as an OC at certain points in Indy. And I, I don't know, maybe even some stuff just internally. I don't I, I don't know. Well, he wasn't the OC. And, and that's the important thing is in Indy, yeah. he was the head coach. Nick yeah. Sirianni was the play caller for a while before he got yeah. hired as the head coach of the Eagles. If yeah, you're true. looking for Frank Reich, the OC, you got to go back to when he was with Philadelphia with Doug Peterson. Got you. Okay, so in that case, then I'm loving the Frank Reich thing. I just... Whoever was calling plays in Indy, I was not a fan of it. I, I was not a fan of it at all. So if, if that's not Frank Wright, then yes, I love the Frank Wright. I, I love bringing in Frank Wright. If you're going to bring in Frank Wright, I just don't see where the senior presence is going to be needed. I think that that would be a situation. Exactly. He's that, your OC and he is the senior yeah, presence. Yeah. I also think that Frank Wright is a guy that, once again, when you talk about um, when you talk about 
a guy having an opportunity to to learn from his mistakes and and go and do a self evaluation. Maybe he doesn't come in as our offensive coordinator because I think that he's good enough to be a head coach. But it's a situation just as I feel with Josh McDaniels in in Oakland. Josh McDaniels is the head coach. He should also be the one calling the plays. Frank Wright is a head coach. He got a head coaching job because of the job he did as an offensive coordinator. As a head coach, he should be calling the plays. So if we get an opportunity to bring Frank Wright in here, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But when you think about Robert Sala, you also, if I'm him, I want stability. This is a situation where Frank Wright can come here for a year, blow it out the water, and then he gets offered a head coaching job. Now we're looking at in year number four, having another offensive coordinator. Is that something that we really want? And so that's something that we have to take into account when we're thinking about who we're bringing in as an OC. We want a guy that's going to come in that's going to be here for at least three or four years, at least three or four years to help develop whatever quarterback you need to, to develop, to be able to maximize this talent that you have and be able to maximize the talent that you're going to bring in. What we don't want is to bring in a guy that's a one and done. And so that would be my only concern with, with Frank Wright. If he comes in here and he does well, he's getting a head coaching job. Somebody's going to throw the bag yeah. at him. That's true. That's a very good point. That is a, a very, very good point. And I think not to say anything against Coach Sala, because I think we both agree that he is an excellent leader of men as a CEO type guy who can relate to the whole team, run your whole operation, fix your culture, keep everyone on the same page. We all agree that Sala is excellent there. And I don't want anyone to take this as me saying anything against him as a head coach, because that's not the point. But when mm -hmm. you have a defensive head coach, it's harder to keep your offensive your offensive system intact because if you have a good offense that offensive coordinator is going to get a head coach job mm -hmm. and especially like you're talking about with reich he already has head coach experience and there were a couple of years where he was successful as a head coach it's not like he came in and was immediately a lame duck and the colts were awful the entire time he was a head coach and and that's going to give people some hesitation dude has been successful before and that's a very very valid point but I also think that this is just something the Jets are going to have to deal with for as long as Robert Sala is the head coach, because you're going to have a successful offense. You're going to have someone be an offensive coordinator in that role, and then they're going to get opportunities to go and be a head coach somewhere else. So that's why I think if you are going to bring in Frank Reich, and this point, quite honestly, can be made to, to anybody that they bring in as offensive coordinator, because if you're successful enough to get the Jets where we want them to be, you're probably going to get offers or get interviews at the very least, you got to have a succession plan in place. Mm -hmm. You got to have guys down the line to where you can keep your scheme intact. You can promote from within. You can have guys in the wings waiting, learning the scheme, preparing themselves to be an offensive coordinator. And I think it's a much different situation when you're going from a completely brand new offense, a completely brand new coaching staff, and you have an offensive coordinator that may be their first time in that role, then having someone who was the offensive coordinator and you have a position coach working under them that's getting familiar in the scheme, that's seeing how it's ran, then that OC gets promoted and you bring up somebody from within, you're not installing anything new. Mm -hmm. You're not having to have a new first-time offensive coordinator teach an offense to an entire team. You're having guys basically just trying to keep the status quo. And obviously you'd want whatever coordinator you have to be their own person, to have their own wrinkles, to be creative and, and find ways to improve. You don't want to just run the exact same thing year in, year out. 
but I think you have to have that that succession plan in place to where if Frank Reich is your offensive coordinator, then I would hope that whoever he has as quarterback coach, wide receiver coach, et cetera, that you have someone in place that you are planning to be his understudy. And you're going to sit there and say, okay, I want you in his hip pocket every single day. I want you learning the scheme. I want you planning like you are eventually going to be the offense coordinator of this team, because in all likelihood, it might be a possibility. Um, That is a concern. I'm not going to sit here and say that it isn't a concern. It is absolutely valid. And everything that you're saying about that is true. But I think that if you are, if you are worried about avoiding a successful hire because of how long it might take, I, I think that's when you're, you're getting a little too worried before get where, get to that point first. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. let's get to an offense. Let's have an offense. That's good enough to warrant a coordinator getting a head coach interview before we worry about losing a coordinator to a head coach interview on top of that. And to go even further, I think the biggest part of this overall, you have to have guys that can adapt. And we did not see that from Michael Thor whatsoever is that when players were gone, when your best pieces weren't there, what do you try and change and make different to improve your roster to, to improve your output as an offense? Nothing. We didn't see really anything from Michael Floor that was any different that was molding to the players that he had at that current moment. I think you need to have someone that's willing to adapt. You need to have someone that can think on the fly. And, I, and I'm really hopeful that it's Frank Reich. I, I, I do think he's going to get head coach interviews. And I'm, I'm worried that if things go well, that he's going to get other head coach interviews in the future that will likely be more serious or, or more lucrative. But but that's a, a problem for a future day. And you know what? If the Jets are that good and their defense is playing this well and they have an offense that's successful and hopefully that also means they have a quarterback they believe in, whoever it might be, veteran or otherwise, that's going to be an attractive OC opening. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get better candidates to fill that role even if you don't promote from within. So yep. it's don't worry to, to put things in a nice little bow and wrap it up here. Don't worry about the the problems or or the downfalls of success until you are successful to start with. I'm with you on that. But I also think that you you have to prepare for it. Yes. And and as a head coach, especially being a defensive guy, like when we were successful in New York, you know, it it was a four-year span. Paul Hackett was our offensive coordinator all four years. You know, something is to be said about especially offensive football with the timing and the spacing and the things that it, the smallest things can go wrong, which can totally destroy a, a, a play. Yeah. Right. Um, and so you want to have that consistency. Frank Wright, the year that he had Andrew Luck, what year was that? Uh, 2013. It was after that luck was drafted in 2012. So it was, it was, it was, it was after that. Let me, let me get the exact time frame of his time in Indianapolis here. Give me one second. Put that up. And he, he was, first became head coach of the Colts in 2018. And he, he was with the Colts in 2018. 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021 was fired okay. partway through this past year. When was, I'm sorry, when was Andrews Luck's best years? Uh, let's find Andrew Luck. I know. His first year under Frank Reich 
was a very, very good year for Andrew Luck. Let's get his exact stats here. Let me pull that up. For, uh, Andrew Luck, 2018 was the one and only year he played with Frank Reich, actually. He retired after 2018, but in the one year under Frank Reich, Andrew Luck threw for 4,593 yards, had 39 touchdowns, and 15 picks. How he? So here's where I'm getting at with this. Um, and, and a career-high completion percentage. And he wasn't there. I'm a fan of and we have a quarterbacks coach there i'm just checking i was just just checking my dates and and i'm going to bring up a guy um that i hope whoever the offensive let me ask you this before i go there what are your feelings towards the job that the quarterback coach has done I think objectively you have to look at it and say you your number two pick got worse. And I think that there is blame to be had on Zach Wilson himself. The players are not ever without blame for not executing. It is not solely the coach's job when they fail and not solely the coach's job when they succeed and not solely the player's job either way either. But I do have to think that you have Rob Calabrese, that this was his first job as a quarterback coach in the NFL. And oh. he was a high school coach. For a long long time and then was i believe he was the offensive coordinator at ucf for a period of time and this was his first pro job as a a position coach as a quarterback coach and i think their plan was we're gonna bring calabrese on like we're talking about with with a succession plan i think in their head calabrese was lafleur's successor and we're going to have you come in and be the quarterback coach, learn the offense, and and if LaFleur does well enough to get a head coach job himself, then you'll come in and be the offense coordinator. I'm not a fan of Rob Calabrese. I'm going to be honest. I, I think that you just haven't seen enough development out of the quarterback position. We've seen Mike White play well in spurts, but I also think that what Mike White has done is not – blow the doors off amazing to where you're sitting there going Calabrese turned this fifth round cast off from Dallas into a franchise quarterback and um I think that right now Calabrese has not been fired officially uh the coaches on the staff on offense that are still remaining are Calabrese quarterback uh Ron Middleton the tight ends coach running back coach Taylor Embry like I said before but I think Calabrese is only keeping his job right now because they don't want to give Zach Wilson any time without a quarterback coach. And that the second an offensive coordinator gets hired, that offensive coordinator is going to bring their own quarterback coach too. Mm. Well, I was going to get to this, you know, I gave you a name of a guy that I've coached with. And again, you know, with coaches just coming up from just coaching high school jobs, or doing whatever the case may be. Listen, I, I brought up the name, John, Kena. just been around him at the brain. And as a football mind, as a quarterback's coach, he's a, he's a guy that I'm looking at. Um, another guy that I'm thinking that I listen, Pep Hamilton. Pep Hamilton worked with Andrew Luck, all right. And 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 yes. I've from Pep Hamilton's staff, I helped out with the doubles coaching running backs with the defenders. Um, he was actually our quarterback's coach in 2004 when I was with the Jets. Um, when you think about having the the guys that he's worked with, you look at what he was able to do down there in Houston. I mean, listen. Houston, <laughs> Houston 
their run game was one of the best run was was solid. Their run game was what allowed them to be in games, what allowed them to actually win the few games that they won. I'm a Pep Hamilton fan, and so the reason I I, I was thinking about Frank and I, uh, Frank Wright and Pep Hamilton they did they didn't work together at Indy, but when you think about a guy, all right, you bring in Frank Wright. I would love to bring in Pep Hamilton as a quarterback coach. Absolutely. Pep to be in that situation that Pep can be behind Frank, knowing that Frank is going to leave. So when you talk about having that contingency plan, I think that when we're thinking about the name of Frank Wright, I would love to have Frank Wright in there, bring in Pep Hamilton as the quarterback's coach, allow Pep to be under Frank, knowing that at some point somebody is going to offer Frank Wright a job if he doesn't have a coaching job now. Now Frank is gone. Now Pep, a guy who has experience as an offense coordinator, a guy who has worked with top-notch quarterbacks, a guy who has developed quarterbacks, um, a guy who has been around the league. Once again, you're talking about having that senior presence yes. that's been around. I think that if we're thinking about a name, Frank Wright, you, you pair him with Pep Hamilton, I think that that is a great situation for the New York Jets. Lamont, I couldn't love that anymore. I I love that pairing. I absolutely, absolutely love that pairing. I really think that's best case scenario. Pep Hamilton gets a lot of flack for the Texans being the Texans offense coordinator this past year. One, that's a rough roster. That is, you know, that is a, a rough roster. Two, oh, Davis Mills is Davis Mills. And it was a <laughs> mid-round pick for a reason. And even still, Pep Hamilton had Davis Mills looking pretty solid as a rookie. With one um, of the, with nobody, the Brandon Cooks, yeah. Horrible yeah. wide receiver. Right. With Brandon Cooks and no one else. That's you it. had Damian Pierce at running back this past year as a rookie. And with no threat of a passing game, Damian Pierce was a thousand yard back. This, I'm all for that. I think that is the perfect scenario for the Jets to have Frank Wright come in, right the ship, be the offensive presence, get this system going, and have Pep Hamilton waiting in the wings. You could do so much worse. I don't think people realize that not many quarterback coaches are also have play caller experience. Yeah. Not many quarterback coaches are experienced outright as Pep Hamilton is just as a coach in general throughout his time in the league. And you look at his experience with quarterbacks. I'm pretty sure he was, I'd have to go back and double check this. I think he might've been the chargers OC or quarterback coach in Justin Herbert's first year. Yes, he was out. Yes. Yes. I forgot all about that. Yes. Yes. He was out there. Herbert's first year, um, yes, as a rookie. And and Justin Herbert, if you look at his college tape to where he was as a rookie, looks significantly different. I think Pep Hamilton's track record with quarterback speaks for itself. Mm -hmm. And I mean, now he's available. The Texans have fired Lovey Smith. They're going to be bringing in a new head coach. There's absolutely no guarantee that that head coach is going to keep Pep Hamilton of off, as offensive coordinator, especially if they hire an offensive head coach. Yep. It seems even less likely that that's going to be the case. I love that pairing. I think that is best case scenario. And hey, I'll, I'll take it a step further. That let's say Frank Wright gets a head coaching job. I think you look at bringing Pep Hamilton in as your offensive coordinator. I, yeah, I wouldn't be against that at all. No, I wouldn't be against that whatsoever. I, I think, and and this is where we'll get in future episodes as we wrap up today. We'll talk about quarterback position. But regardless of whether you have a veteran that you're bringing in or you have a bridge and you're going to have a new quarterback you're going to draft in either in the mid rounds this year or early next year or what have you, whenever it is, you're going to need someone 
that can coach up that quarterback. And even if you have the veteran in place as the, the bridge starter, you're going to have Zach Wilson waiting in the wings. If that's who it is, you need to have someone that can coach up Zach Wilson. And I don't think for as much as we crap on Zach Wilson and as much as we, we give him blame for, for failing at the most basic aspects of the sport. Sometimes I also don't think that he's had the best coaching. And I think that there absolutely is something to that, that, the Jets should have known, and as they've said themselves now, well, maybe he should have sat behind a vet year one. You knew you were getting this raw kid from BYU. You knew you were getting this guy that was running a similar offense to what you were doing, but not necessarily in the exact same capacities as, as what you're going to have in the NFL. And you're going against defenses that Big Twelve uh, that BYU is playing that aren't even going to be close to NFL caliber. So I think Pep Hamilton is would be the guy that not only could lead your offense to being successful right now, but could also be working with Zach Wilson in the wings, improving him. Or if it's not Zach Wilson, whoever, whatever other young quarterback you get, because as we'll talk about, I think this will be the topic for next week. The veteran quarterback options, the only one that you can get that is not going to be a short-term stopgap is Lamar Jackson. And that's if you swing for the fences and make the blockbuster trade and give Jackson the giant contract, you know, he's 26, 27 years old. He can be your franchise quarterback for a long time. You don't have to sit there and worry and go, we're bringing in Lamar and we need to have someone waiting in the wings behind him for when Lamar is done. Your focus is going to be Lamar and Lamar only in that, if that's the case. But if you bring in an Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers is 38. If you bring in a Derek Carr, Derek Carr, I believe, is 31 or 32. You you have guys that are older towards the back end of their career. And while I do think, for instance, a Derek Carr probably still has four or five years of play left in him at least, that doesn't mean that that can change very quickly. And if you hit the age wall and start to see a decline, you're going to have to have a backup plan in place. And for the Jets as a whole, the whole plan of succeeding and building this team the way you want it built operates around that rookie quarterback contract structure. Yeah. And having a guy like a Derek Carr that's got a $33 million cap hit next year is going to be a lot harder to maneuver your roster and surround him with talent than it would if you were playing a guy like Zach Wilson, whose cap hits like 2.4. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a lot of moving pieces here. who they what they decide to do with quarterback is going to have a a say in all of this but conversely from what we've heard from the Jets they're said that their new OC is going to have a say in what they do at quarterback so maybe it's the other way around maybe it's not we need to find our quarterback and then find the offense coordinator to go with them I think you got to get your offense coordinator in here first and then get their opinion on what you should do with quarterback and find the quarterback that fits them rather than going backwards and getting your quarterback first and finding a play caller to fit them. I'm with you hundred percent on that. The one thing I think this situation just continues to show that just how great of a decision it was to hire Robert Sala as the head coach. Because from what I hear, you hear a lot of franchises that that during the offseason, they want the OC to come in and fit and do something with a quarterback. And so that's how the decision is made. Sounds like Coach Salas coming in and saying, nah, scratch that. I'm going to get my leader of my offense in here first and let him decide his personnel, how he wants to go about doing it. 
So regardless of how the season ended, and here's the reality, we got better from year one to year two. Absolutely. We got better from year one to year two. We've gotten better from year one to year two because of how we did the offseason. Already, Coach Sala is getting off to a great start with the offseason. Early in the offseason, made a decision that we're going to move on from our offensive coordinator position. The offensive line was not good. The offensive line coach is out of here. Um, I believe in your argument for why the off, why the quarterback's coach is still around. Um, and with that information alone, I would say this. A few weeks ago, I brought up trading Zach Wilson. For that information alone, I don't trade Zach Wilson. I think Zach in his contract, he has, what, two more years left on his contract? Two years left with a fifth-year option for a third. Fifth-year option, yeah. I, I think with that information, you don't trade Zach Wilson. Unless he's just, just, there's just this huge cancer in the locker room, Right. you don't trade him. You give that kid an opportunity to learn from a guy who knows what he's doing at this yes. level. You give Zach because he listen his tools. He has he has listen he has all the tools, man. Yeah. But you can tell if he came in with a set of tools, and he's declined, and you're telling me that the guy whose job it was to to get him better was a college coach himself. That's to me that's a recipe of that's a recipe for disaster. So. I don't trade Zach unless he's a cancer in the locker room. I don't trade him. I love, I love the fact that we're going to bring in an offensive coordinator first. I don't want to go after, I don't want to pay a quarterback a lot of money. First of all, from my standpoint, I don't want to, for me personally, this is just me because of the style of offense that I like to run. I don't want my quarterback's best quality to be that he can use his legs to make up for whatever the situation is whether it's me calling bad plays or whether his inability to read defenses or whatever the case may be i don't want my quarterback's number one attribute to be that he can run the ball when the play is over i don't want my quarterback to have a high percentage of the time that when the play is over he's the one holding on to the ball i don't want to invest all that type of money into that quarterback Give me a guy that can drop back, read the defense, has enough in his legs that he can get me first downs and keep the chains moving. I don't want to go after one of these veteran guys because I think that they're, they've done a great job of constructing this roster. They built it from defense first. All right. You built it from defense. You sprinkled in. I mean, everything that they've done draft picked and free agent wise, bravo. I got nothing for me. I have nothing but A pluses across the board for the personnel that they brought in here. All right. You have to get a veteran quarterback coach in here to work with Zach. I don't want to spend a bunch of money bringing in a veteran quarterback because I feel like that down, as he continues to build, I feel like that that's money that we're going to need to keep a defensive player. I don't think that we need to throw a lot of money at, at, at the quarterback. If you're going to throw a lot of money at one position, I'm going out and I'm getting the best offensive lineman that I can find. And I'm putting my money into my offensive line, knowing that my wide receiver position is solidified, knowing that I did a great job with my running. <laughs> Look at this. You got Ty Johnson, you have Bam, and then God willing, uh, Brees comes back healthy. Look at what you have to start with in your backfield. Now you got Carter in year three, who's still under contract. Carter, 
Listen, you have Carter. Listen, you have Carter in year three, but if I can trade Carter and get something for him, I'll trade Carter. Because there's nothing that he gives me better than what Brees is going to give me and what Bam is going to give me. Bam is going to give me everything that Brees is going to give me, but more. Ty is going to give me the special teams presence and the better of the pass protection. So if I got to get rid of Bam, to, I mean, if I got to get rid of, of Carter to bring in a fullback, I'll, I'll do that all day. I'll do that all day. So I, I, I don't want to spend money on, 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 on these quarterbacks. I think that Mike White with the offensive line, I think that he can get the job done. I think in a better system that's more geared towards our personnel, where we aren't having our wide receivers five yards behind the line of scrimmage, but we're allowing guys to get down, run a multitude of different routes, where now you can work in different route concepts. Now you can force the defense into the defense that you want them to play, which is going to open up your run game. That is, to me, that is old school, traditional football. Not this read option. Your athletes have to make up for the lack of, of play calling. No, as an offensive coordinator, it is my job to make sure that when my quarterback throws the ball, that there is somebody that is open on a consistent basis, even if it's just a check down. And the way that you can do that is bring in a fullback, bring in a guy that's not a, a, a run sideways type of guy. Curtis Martin to this day is still the oldest running back to win the rushing title. All right. And I was his backup. All right. You want to know how we did it from a from a play calling standpoint? We did it because there were a multitude of run plays that we ran. You weren't just going to focus on us running sideways. You had to focus on us running downhill at you, some outside zones, some inside zones mixed in with some tosses and some counters and some powers. All right. Bring in an OC that is going to do that. And I think that you brought the name up. Let's bring in Frank. Let's bring in Pep. And let's get this thing moving. I, I'm right there with you. I, I couldn't agree more. I absolutely couldn't agree more. I think that is dream pairing, if you're being honest here for the Jets. I think that's best case scenario for Zach Wilson, because you got two guys that learn from that are heavily experienced, that have proven themselves to be able to work with quarterbacks before, that neither of the guys... Uh, neither Pep nor you know Frank Reich uh, had worked with a guy that talented in a long time. Pep worked with Herbert. That that's it. And Frank Reich hasn't worked with a guy that talented since Andrew Luck. You know he's had hasn't had none of that in, in Indianapolis to have anything to sort of build from. I love that pairing. I we can get into next week. I think that'll be quarterback speculation because I think we might differ a little bit there, and I want to save that argument for the show. But I, I'm to wrap this up. You said it. You got to give credit to Coach Sala. He recognized a problem. He put his friendships aside and he made a move. And that's that's what I think this is. I think you can take all the 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 other team inquiring and mutual parting aways and and Woody Johnson potentially making a, a push for whatever BS. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I think this is Coach Sala recognizing that his offense was a problem and that he had to make a change because his coordinator was in over his head. And that there was nothing that that they could do with the guys that they had on staff that were going to be able to lead them out of the dark. And he's doing a disservice to his team if he does not make a change and find somebody else to run this offense. Hats off to Coach Sala. I, that is not an easy decision to make. That is a tough call. You're right. It's football. You know, we got to 
people are get fired all the time. You're going to get your guaranteed contract, you know, before it's going to find another job, whatever it is. But that doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean that 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 he wants to sit there and go fire his his best man's little brother. That doesn't mean that that's a that's an easy call to make. And credit to Coach Robert Sala for one doing it early. Yes, didn't take didn't take long to waver on this decision. Didn't sit there and go ticky tacky all the way up through February or or anything else because coaching staffs feel fast. That's the first domino of the NFL offseason is when all the Black Mondays happen and the coachings, you know, coaching openings happening. Once those head coaches get hired, the very next part is filling out staffs with coordinators and position coaches. So you got to get ahead of that curve. And if you are going to make a move, you need to make a move while the best candidates are still available. So credit to Robert Sala for making this move. I think we're both in agreement that this is best case scenario for the team moving forward. And I think if Knock on wood, they're able to land Frank Reich as OC and Pep Hamilton as quarterback coach. I think the Jets offense is going to be really, really good next year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's time to get our bets in. Oh, God. Oh, I haven't even done bets. Yeesh. Yeah, I just oh. did it quick. You know, we got we to send a shout out to our sponsor, Bet Online. Um, Drew, I'm going to go ahead and give you some time to kind of look through. Um, yeah, you do that. I have a number. I have a number of bets. I mean, we got playoff weekend. Um, so for our listeners, I said it at the beginning of the season, and it's held true. Uh, no, I'm, I'm going to say this. I think it held true the last time this team was in the playoffs, and I'm going to stick to my guns. So I'm going to do a number. I, I'm going to put it this way: a number of bets. All right, so I'm going to ladder my ladder some bets here. My first bet, the thing that the the one thing that I said coming into the season is that I don't care who this team plays when they make the playoffs, they're going to lose. And so my first bet is I'm going to take the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to win against the Dallas Cowboys. Ooh, coming into the season, I said that the Cowboys are going to lose to whoever they play. Once once things formed out that they were going to the playoffs, I said it doesn't matter. They're going to lose their first game. Second of all, I'm not counting Tom Brady out. Um, I believe this game is in Tampa Bay, so it's a home game for Tampa. Um, and I'm just sticking to what I said. Listen, the Cowboys, I don't care who they play. They're going to lose their first game. So I'm going to take the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's just a straight-up bet. My next bet is... I am going to take a do a parlay. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Nope. I'm going to do another single bet. I also said that this team is going to lose to whoever they play in the first game. All right. So I'm not going to bet this team on the money line, but I will take this team on a spread, although I think that they'll win this game outright because I'm sticking to my guns. I'm going to take the New York Giants to cover at the plus three against the yes. Minnesota. I'm going to take that. All right. I'm also going to do another bet where I'm going to parlay both the Bucks and the Giants on the spread. And my last bet, as you hear, as you, as you hear the phone ring, <laughs> my last bet, um, I'm going to take the Chargers on the money line. I'm sorry. Here we go. I'm taking the 49ers on the money line. 
I'm taking the Chargers on the money line. I am taking the Buffalo Bills on the money line. I am taking the Cincinnati Bengals on the money line. I'm going to put all of those on a parlay. Those are my bets for this first week, the wild card round of the playoffs. Okay, I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, quickly looking, because with all this OC nonsense, it totally <laughs> even spaced my mind that that we got playoff bets to worry about. We'll get right in here looking at the markets. I'm right there with you. In fact, I'm going to go a step further. I'm taking the Giants on the money line to beat the Vikings. I think I think that's going to be the case. I don't trust Kirk Cousins when the lights are the brightest. The Vikings are arguably the luckiest number two seed <laughs> in the history of number two seeds. I don't know how a team is. I find their exact record. There's something like 11 or 12 and three or 12 and four or something yeah, like that. Yeah. 12 and five. And, and their point differential is like minus eight or like plus eight. Like I've, I've never seen anything like that in my life. I think Brian Dayball's a really solid coach. I think they're going to be motivated. I think the Vikings are, are fool school quite honestly. And, and I think that they've had, They've gotten really lucky to be where they are now, and the playoffs are going to expose them. My second bet, I'm going to go a little wild here, not too wild. I'm taking the Bills minus 13. I'm taking the Bills minus 13, and I'm going to be honest, I might have taken the Bills if it was minus 17. <laughs> oh, I forgot. Skyler, I'm not playing in that game. Skylar Thompson is likely going to be starting for the Dolphins. That's right. Damar Hamlin, God bless him, healthy, out of the hospital, recovered. I think that is going to motivate the Bills something furious. That's right. I think the the team aspect and the emotions to go and win this game and win this season for Damar Hamlin and what those players had to witness to now get the opportunity to know he's okay and feel good about themselves and and the game that they just had on Sunday. Josh Allen was in tears in his post-game press conference when he's talking about how they returned uh, the opening kickoff for a touchdown, and then they had another kickoff return for a touchdown that it was something like the last time that that happened was it, something with the number three ended up being a common occurrence, and it ended up being in reference to DeMar Hamlin's number three. I think this Bills team feels like they're on like a, a destiny run right now. And, and I'm going to – I'll throw one more in here. You want to get this early. I'm taking the Bills to win the Super Bowl. Mm. I, don't, I don't think anyone can stop them anymore. I think there is there is a different level of motivation when you have something like that happen and you're able to navigate your way through it. And I think they have the leaders in place and, most importantly, the quarterback in place to get them where they want to go. Give me the Bills at minus 13. Give me the Giants on the money line. And if you wanted to go ahead and throw in right now just to get it ahead bet who's going to win the Super Bowl in the wild card round, give me the Buffalo Bills to win the Super Bowl. Well, I'm going to tell you what, since we're doing a futures bet, I got the 49ers winning the Super Bowl. I, I, I got the 49ers winning the Super Bowl. I don't think that there's a team out there that that I just I, I just like the 49ers. They're uh, very, very talented. Now, you know what? Here's my concern. I started to play that Buffalo spread. I started to play that Buffalo spread. Here's my concern with that game. If not for those two kickoff returns, I think that New England game is, is significantly closer. All right? Buffalo showed me something in their last game 
which can create an issue when you talk about a spread. And that's why I like the spread being where it is. Vegas, you know, the points they were they were they were good on this. They were they were good with setting the spread where they set it because it's very enticing. The Buffalo Bills, and we talked about this early on in, in, in I think our first game, and I talked about this one aspect of, of, of the Miami Dolphins. I'm sorry, of the Miami Dolphins. I talked about this one area that if they can ever get this going, all right, if they can ever get this going, um, that this could be a problem. And is bet online. Their run game to me can be special. I don't know what the weather's going to be up there in Buffalo for the game, but when you're playing in cold weather, your ability to run the ball, get first downs, eat up the clock, because the mindset has to be if you're Miami, the mindset has to be is that we have to run the ball, we have to control the clock, we have to keep Buffalo's offense off of the field. All right. So I'm a little concerned about that, that I'm a little concerned about playing the, the 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 spread for the Buffalo game, but I feel where you're coming from. Like, this is a game where, heck, if you're just putting in multiple bets, I'm putting in, you, you, you put in one for the Dolphins to cover the spread, and then you go to an alternate point line and you take the Buffalo Bills to win at a minus 25. <laughs> like that's how I see this game going. I think that if one Miami, of them will hit. Listen, one of those is going to hit. You're either going to hit Miami. You, you're going to bet. You're going to bet that Miami's going to cover the spread with their with the quarterback that they have. You're betting that their run game is going to be able to control the clock. They're going to be able to score points, and their defense is going to be able to keep Buffalo off the field. Now, this is the third time that this team is facing this offense, so. We know what this, we, you know, we, we know how that can be. Or I'm coming with your theory. This game is in Buffalo. All right. Hamlin is doing better. Spirits are lifted up. We about to come out here and slaughter, and slaughter the Dolphins. <laughs> so, I mean, this, I mean, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think we got some great bets in for the weekend. Drew, as always. Another great show. I cannot wait until we do our next show just so we can see what what has taken place between today and when we do our next show. Um, as always, man, thanks for having me on. This was fun as always. And um, I can't wait, man. I just can't wait. Yeah. No, me either. We got we got a coaching search officially. It's going to be interesting to see. We're going to have a quarterback search as well. There's going to be a lot of moving pieces, a lot of fun times in the offseason. The the covering of the Jets never sleeps. You're never <laughs> done covering the New York Jets ever. There is never a period of time when you can relax. There is always going to be something crazy going on. We'll always be right here to wrap it all up for you. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, thank you to betonline.ag for sponsoring. Make sure you're following the show at BLEA a b underscore in underscore jets you can also find me at andrew golden underscore 17 as well and you can find big dog over there at coach jordan 34 appreciate you guys stopping by and we'll be back real real soon see ya peace
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.